Uh, man, wow. Something powerful in the name of Jesus, isn't there? Wow. <laughs> hmm. I think we're kind of basking this morning, um, and there was a, there was a, uh, inhabitation that happened Friday night that I think the results of it are just kind of lingering. <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> I don't usually do this, but um, if you weren't here Friday night, y'all missed it. Um, you did. And um, I mean, there were some people that got set free on Friday night. Freedom. And so we're going to do it again, and I encourage, don't miss next time, man. If you can be here, do it. And I understand, you know, some people can't health-wise and everything, and I understand that. And please don't take this as a scolding. It's just a pastor's heart wanting everybody to experience what we experienced here on Friday night. And, uh, and, and those of you that are here, you can, I don't know if I've said this publicly before, you can blame Laura for that, because I'm just going to get real with you guys. She's the one, she's been for months saying we need to pray all night and I've drugged my feet and I just am confessing that and um, said and just honestly I let fear come in and think well nobody's going to show up <laughs> and finally Laura said you know what God is telling me we're supposed to do this and if you don't get on board I'm doing it anyway <laughs> she's never done that before and yeah so so um, thank you. Uh, she stepped out for a moment, but I want to thank her for being obedient. Sometimes uh, pastors need a kick in the pants too, and uh, we need that. But man, it's just uh, God is good, and uh, he's here this morning, and he wants to move amongst us, and that's always his heart, man. His heart is always to draw us deeper into his. And uh, we're going to, this morning, we're going to jump back into a series that we've actually been out of for a while. Um, actually, clear back last fall, we began this series called The Kingdom Experiment. And um, we began working our way through what is considered to be the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived. And uh, of course, I, I'm talking about this sermon on the mount. I need to clarify that because I saw Pastor Brad's eyes light up and he thought, we're going to pick through one of his sermons today. And uh, we're, not, we're not doing that. Uh, but Jesus preached this sermon found in Matthew chapter 5 uh, through chapter 7. So it's, it's quite a, uh, it's a short sermon when you read it. But, you know, it's been taking us weeks and weeks and weeks to work our way through it. And what Jesus is doing here, this is like the most comprehensive teaching that he ever gave on what life in the kingdom looks like. Kingdom life. What we're called to live. What we're invited into. And um, we, uh, since it's been a few months since we've been there, I want to just kind of remind you what we've been talking about. This whole sermon centers around this invitation from Jesus, what really Jesus oftentimes when he talked about and he tried to help people understand, this is the reason why I came. I came to usher in a whole new way of living and a whole new opportunity that is beyond anything that you can live under your own power. And he calls this the kingdom of God. That's, that's what he describes it as. And Jesus is, what he's doing is, he's, he's saying like, you know, once you make that decision to follow after me, he says, it's like what I'm doing for you is I'm actually giving you, I'm offering you citizenship under a new authority, whole new rule, whole new way of living. And, and if we accept Jesus' invitation into this uh, kingdom as citizens of this new kingdom, the kingdom of God under Jesus' authority, then Jesus makes it very clear that that decision, that citizenship is to trump everything else. You're submitting to an authority, which is Jesus, and you're giving him complete rule over your life. This is what Jesus came to not only do, but his desire for each of us is nothing 
less than full submission to him. Complete relationship with him. Listen, we need to understand this. Jesus is no more interested in the type of relationship where we're like, okay, Jesus, I'll give you my sins, you, you forgive my sins, and then I'll catch you in heaven someday. Not interested in that. Jesus is no more interested in that than if, you know, for, for married couples, if, if at your wedding day, you know, right after your spouse said, I do, they were like, awesome, this is awesome, I'll catch you in retirement. You know, I'm, I'm just going to go and do my own thing, and, and whenever I feel like it, maybe we'll hook up. You know, maybe as long as, you know, if you got something to offer me, whenever it benefits me, then I'll connect with you then. I mean, who would put up with that kind of a relationship, that kind of a marriage? Jesus won't either. He's not interested in that kind of relationship. Listen, we are called the bride of Christ for a reason. That's who you are. The bride of Christ. And so Jesus won't settle for anything less than an ongoing, intimate relationship with us as his bride. Man, and it's an incredible offer. It really is. Now, um, again, for, for those of you who are married, the marriage relationship is intended to be a priority in your life, right? In other words, if there's, if there's conflict, if there's a if there's a choice that pits any other relationship or any other thing against the marriage relationship, then because we've entered into a covenantal relationship with our spouse, the marriage, we're to choose the marriage. The marriage comes first. Over other friendships, over other relationships, over the relationship that we have with, with other people, with the relationship we had with our parents, marriage comes first. When you get married, we leave and cleave. Over the relationship with our children, our spouse is to be our first love, right? Guys that are married, I'm telling you, your head should be doing this right now. <laughs> Fervently. Amen. To, amen. <laughs> to be our first love. Well, the reason that Jesus compares these relationships, the relationship that he wants to have with us with a marriage relationship is what he's saying is, is he says, I long to be your first love. I just, it's no more complicated than that. I just want to be your first love. In, in other words, I, I, want, I want to be in a place, in a position in your life that whenever there's a conflict over other earthly, worldly relationships, all other relationships you have, whenever there's a conflict between them and the relationship you have for me, because I'm your first love, I want you to choose me. And, and here's the deal. Jesus, I don't know if you knew this, Jesus is stubborn because he will not settle for anything less than that. And he's going to stand his ground in it. This is what I long to have with you. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount that we've been working our way through, Jesus uses different language intended to be the same thing. Instead of the marriage relationship, which he uses in other places, here he uses this kingdom language. And the reason that I'm calling this the kingdom experiment is because I would just love to see what happens. I mean, this is intended to be an actual experiment. I would love to see what would happen in our church if a bunch of us really took what Jesus taught us seriously and we experimented and seen what would happen in our lives and, the, and really the life of our community. If we really lived out life in the kingdom the way Jesus laid it out and intended for us, I believe that it would blow our minds. And so that's a challenge for us to experiment with this. And listen, I am, I'm bringing this to you as a fellow experimenter, not somebody who has perfected it. You know, there, there, there are some things, I, I set Paul at a very high level, and, and there, there are a few things that I could just say I'm going to be equal on the level of Paul with. Uh, the one thing I could say is I could say I'm equal in him in saying not that I've achieved all this, but yet I press towards the goal. I have a target. 
And I want to continue to grow in it. And I want us to continue to grow in it. So Jesus is using this kingdom language here. And he's talking about the same thing. He's saying that when you become a citizen of my kingdom under my authority, my rule, whenever there's a conflict that arises, and they will, whenever there's an, an option of choosing priority, and those will come, then your allegiance is to be, according to my kingdom, that citizenship is to trump all other citizenships. And Jesus does, what he does is he lays out what it looks like to be in his kingdom. And the very first thing he says is, to be in my kingdom means you're going to experience the blessed life. Not not the kind of blessing that we tend to think of from, uh, you know, our perspective. I mean, typically when we think of blessing, we tend to think of things like some sort of um, outward circumstance that we perceive as good entering into our lives. We, we get that promotion, we get that raise, the dream job we've always wanted. We get to buy our dream house, we get blessed with a car. We go out and find out, wow, the car that I've always wanted, I was able to buy it for five grand less than it's worth, I am so blessed. When our kids, you know, accomplish things that we've always wanted for them to accomplish, you know, they get accepted to the school we want them to get accepted to, they, 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 uh, they become a doctor or a lawyer, they have a six-figure income, they, um, when, when our when our when our children give us grandbabies, we're blessed. And don't get me wrong, all those things are blessings. In fact, Scripture says that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights. And so anything good that enters into your life is blessing. But what Jesus does in this sermon, and we talked about this in the fall, is he unpacks this a little bit more, and he says real blessing goes way deeper than whatever is happening out here that enters into your life. Real blessing springs forth from inside in fact he says that real blessing what it does is rather than being something that enters into your life from out here from going out here to in here what real blessing always does is it springs from in here and it goes out there and you you become what Jesus called salt and light you bring flavor to the world. You, 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 in dark places, you illuminate things. Because there's this blessing that is inside that is springing forth and it's going out and impacting the world. And it, and it happens in the craziest of ways. In that, because Jesus says, he says the craziest things. In fact, um, this, this has been called the upside down kingdom. He says, you're blessed when you're poor in spirit. You're blessed when you mourn. You're blessed when you're meek. You're blessed when people persecute you and when they say things about you and against you because of me. All the things that when they happen to us, typically we would look at and go, that's not blessing. And Jesus says you're blessed in that because in that, when that happens, and when when we understand what real blessing is, real blessing is a joy that springs up from within that is not controlled by or impacted by circumstances that happen around us. Real joy is a state of well-being. It's this peace. It's It's this overwhelming knowledge that God is with you and will never leave you nor forsake you. It's this understanding that whatever is happening around me, it's not the end of the story. And we understand that the end of the story, if you read the end of the book, we win. We ought to to have joy because of that. And so Jesus says that when you live life in this way, in my kingdom, and when other people look at your life and they see that you experience the same things they experience, the Bible says that the rain is going to fall on the just and the unjust, just the same. In other words, life happens to us all. It happens. And when life happens, and you have joy, And you have peace. See, the thing about this kind of joy is it's not the opposite of sadness. That it can exist even in the... We're still human, right? That this joy can exist 
even or coexist even where sadness when it comes into our lives. And it, it creates this perplexity for people. When they, they look at our lives, I'm telling you, I see this, I see this illustrated um, probably not on a deeper level uh, than, than when, whenever there's a funeral. I'm tell, there is a big difference between a funeral for somebody who did not know Jesus and a funeral for somebody who did know Jesus. When, when there is no hope, there is no joy. There's only sadness. Now, there's sadness at both because we grieve what we lose. But our sadness is really about us, that we've lost something. And so when, when somebody knows Jesus and they pass on, there's the sorrow of what we've lost, but there's the joy of what they're now experiencing. I always, always say this, that it's like for somebody who knows Jesus and whenever they die and, and, and go on, I say, they finally achieved everything that they lived for. They finally got it. This was the goal. So we don't need to be sad. Well, sure, we can be sad for ourselves, but we, we don't need to be sad for them. They got what we want. And so Jesus is trying to help us understand that, that, that this life in the kingdom is so much different, and when we live it out, we become salt and light. If you missed any of those, I mean, that's kind of where we've been, so if you missed any of those, you want to listen to them again, you can always go back uh, to you know, our website or YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, they're there, and we encourage you to do that, but... This morning, we want to just kind of continue to move on, and we're jumping into this section. We're actually entering into a section where we'll be the next several of weeks, where Jesus begins, he's talked about the blessing, and now he begins to identify and give insight into six areas of temptation, that if you really want to experience the fullness of the blessing of living according to his kingdom rule, then you need to watch out for these six temptations resist these six temptations somebody once compared the sermon on the mount to uh, jesus like kind of telling us about how to plant a beautiful garden that will enhance our lives and bring beauty into the world but in this section what he's doing is he's taught he talked about the garden and the beatitudes now he's talking about six weeds that if if we don't watch out for them they'll spring up and choke out the garden. And so we need to be aware of this. So this morning we're going to deal with the first of those. Uh, it's seeds that produce weeds. And if you have your Bibles with you, your Bible apps, I want to invite you to open them to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to begin reading from verse 21. It'll also be up on the screen. But Matthew chapter 5 verse 21, Jesus says this. He says, you have heard it said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. To which we all ought to be able to say Amen. Right? None of us are for murder, I hope. Uh, Jesus says, it says you shall not murder. That wasn't a very strong amen, by the way. I got a little worried there for a second. but Hopefully we can begin there. But you shall not murder. And he says, anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. To which all of us in this room probably go, you know, I'm good this week. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. I don't think I've ever been tempted to murder anybody. I mean... I may have thought about it, but I never actually came up with the actual plan, you know. Um, and so I'm good. I'm a good person, which is probably what the people of Jesus' original audience would have think, thought, uh, especially the Pharisees. I mean, their whole thing was, we're good spiritually, we're righteous, because we keep laws like, thou shalt not murder. But, but Jesus goes on. Jesus likes to meddle in stuff, too. That's something else I've learned about Jesus. And so he begins to meddle a little bit, and he says, yes, that's what the law says. But in verse 22, he says, but I tell you that if anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, he says, anybody who says to a brother or sister, raka, which is a word that means idiot, Anyone who says that is answerable to the court. And anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fires of hell. 
okay, now Jesus is talking to all of us, right? I mean, all of a sudden, this just got real, real up in here. Because, come on, who had never gotten angry before? If you raise your hand, we're going to deal with lying next. I mean, anger is a part of life, right? I mean, think about it. We may not all deal with murder, murdering somebody. Hopefully, we don't deal with that. But, but come on, we all have to deal with the issue of anger. I mean, think about this. When was the last time that you got angry? For some of you, you don't have to think that far back. Because it was like this morning. When you were trying to get your kids fed their breakfast and ready for church. And it wasn't happening the way that you wanted it to happen. It was like, why are these kids always like this? For those of you who made it through that, you know, it was on the drive here when that idiot <laughs> cut in front of you, pulled in front of you, did whatever. Yesterday afternoon, um, Laura and I were still recovering from the all-night prayer, and we had sat down, and we were watching a little TV, and all of a sudden, just out of the blue, she looks over at me and says, I need pie. She had like this craving for pie. And uh, she doesn't do that, you know. But um, it doesn't take a whole lot for me. I mean, all she had to say was pie. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, if you really want it, I'll get you pie. And, and, uh, because I'm a servant like that. And so we, we went up to the, the village inn because that's where old people go for pie. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we, just wanted, we just wanted a slice of pie, like each of us, because I wasn't going to share. If we're going for pie, we're going for pie. I'm not going to share a slice of pie. But we wanted, each wanted a slice of pie, and we wanted to go because both of us were still feeling kind of yucky, and we just wanted to go home. So we, we walked into the village inn. Uh, the restaurant was about a, a third of the way full, and it was just us in the lobby. And we waited. And we waited. And we waited. And while we were waiting, there was like five other groups that came in behind us. And so now we're like, there's more people in the lobby that are, than are sitting down in the restaurant. And none of us are getting seated. And we're, we're like there waiting. And I'm sitting here going like, all I want is a piece of pie. <laughs> and they're like, right there where I'm standing, whole pies. And just, you know, I'm about ready to go behind the counter because I had identified my pie. And, and, and I felt this, like, kind of rising up in me. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit, which is what I call Laura now after the <laughs> prayer thing, the Holy Spirit said to me, oh, isn't that sad? They're just, they're so short-staffed. That's reality, right? I mean, this is the place where we live. I, I wasn't thinking about murder. Now, 15 more minutes, and that might have come in my mind. But um, Jesus takes us to this place where everybody lives. I mean, we see, listen, the results of anger are all around us. We live in a, we live in a culture, man, where I, I, it seems to me like people are more angry today than any time that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. I mean, it's just always right there at the surface waiting to boil over. And, and if you don't believe me, just I don't even watch the news anymore. Too depressing. I don't, I don't even want to listen to it. But watch the news. Pull up, pull up Facebook. I mean, it's just, I, the, the other day I was, um, I was on Facebook Marketplace, and there was this kid, 16-year-old kid that was selling a phone, 
And, and he was asking more for the phone than what the phone was worth. Some of you guys know exactly where I'm going to go with this. But I looked at the comments, and it was like sharks in the water, sensing blood, just ready to attack, attack, attack. And there's these adults attacking this 16-year-old kid all because he was asking too much for a phone. Anger, man. You see, I'm convinced that, that what we're dealing with, and I think this is what Jesus is getting at, that what we're dealing with has more to do than the cost of a phone. It has more to do with just wanting some pie. Or the kids. Or the driver. In fact, I think what Jesus is addressing is the reality that there is a seed that has been planted in the soul of every human being. It's a result of the fall. And it's just waiting to be watered. Waiting to be nurtured so it can grow and it can just kind of release itself on the people around us. You see, the problem is the seed. It's not the target of the seed. It's not them. We, we want to escape accountability on this. And so we say things like, they made me so angry. No, they didn't. It's a seed that is in you. It's not the target. I hate to break this news to you, but there's always going to be a target. Always going to be an excuse. And I think this is what Jesus is addressing. He's saying, you, you've heard it said and you've operated under the, the thinking that murder is sin. And it is. But he's saying what you need to understand is there is something that happens on a much deeper level. And this something that is happening is the seed that winds up producing murder. Sometimes. Along with a whole bunch of other destructive things that you guys aren't even talking about. In other words, there's this seed that if we allow it to be planted in our hearts and if we nurture it and if we don't deal with it, it's going to grow into this weed that will cause all kind of destruction in our lives. Maybe not physical murder. Hopefully not. But this seed is the same seed that produces murder. And the seed is called the spirit of anger. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, when you come into my kingdom, under my authority, under my rule, one of the things that I want to do is I want to root out of you anything that does not produce good fruit, including this seed of anger. He says, I want to deal with things like anger. Why? Because it has an impact on you being salt and light. And, and, and if following me doesn't make an impact on basic things like how you treat other people, then following me really doesn't make a difference at all. This is the truth. For, for instance, now, um, and let me just... Let me back up. Let me, let, me, let me just unpack this a little bit. I, I want to be very clear about this, that anger in and of itself is not sinful. Anger is an emotion. Now, typically, it's a secondary emotion. Something that um, we are, for whatever reason, we feel much more safe to release the emotion of anger when the real issue is something else. Embarrassment, shame, hurt you know it's but we release that but it's an emotion and God made us feel he created emotions and anger is one of those and honestly there are times when the emotion of anger is not only the appropriate response it's a good response for instance when we see an injustice done there ought to be a natural response of anger that wells up within us that motivates us to action Whenever, whenever we see people in any way being devalued 
or hurt or destroyed. As followers of Jesus, there ought to be something that wells up in us because as followers of Jesus, what we've been called to do is elevate people, build people up, love people. That's what Jesus came to do. Where's that other stuff come from? John 10, 10. The enemy, the enemy came to kill, to steal, and destroy. And whenever we see the enemy's work, which we see it all the time around us, we, we see it in sins like racism and prejudice. As people of God, we cannot stick our heads in the stand. We have to be part of the solution. Anytime a group of people is devalued or looked down upon simply because of their skin color or race, let's just call it what the Bible calls it. It's called sin. Ought to make us angry. God gets angry with sin. Whenever we see things like innocent babies having their lives snuffed out before they ever have a chance to take a breath, ought to break our hearts. There ought to be some anger about that that wells up. Where does that come from? It's the enemy's first job description. Kill. We're about life. Bringing life into people's lives. And whenever we see that, there ought to be this righteous anger that wells up. Now the problem is, and Jesus identifies this, he says, in your anger, do not sin. Because that's what happens so often, is it propels us into sin. And as Jesus is addressing the Pharisees, you know, all they cared about was the legality of the physical act of murder. In other words, if you don't actually kill someone and therefore didn't get in trouble in the court legally, then you're good from their standpoint. You've kept the commandment. But here's the deal. There are, there are more than one way to kill a person. We, we, need to, we need to stop limiting our thinking and the only way to kill someone is to physically take their life you see what i want us to understand this morning is that the lives of innocent people are taken all the time with words of anger there's some in this room some of you who are watching online and you know exactly what i'm talking about that the, the long lasting damage that is done from words that are spoken in anger the truth is that there are some of us who have been living with wounds that were created years ago and were a direct result of hurtful, careless, angry words. And it's, it's impacted every area of your life for years. You know, how you feel about yourself, how you see other people, how you approach relationships, your willingness to step out and take risks, all over angry words spoken. And for some of you, those words were spoken decades ago. And they're just as real today and just as hurtful today. And you hear them over and over and over in your mind and in your heart. Man, can I, can I tell you this morning, if that's you, Jesus wants to heal that. If you're part of the kingdom... The words that Jesus speaks trumps the words that everyone else speaks. Can I, can I just tell you this morning, I wish, sometimes I wish that I could just take every individual one at a time and just grab their face. Because I like to freak people out. <laughs> and some of that would really, that, some of you that would really freak out. But just grab your face and look you directly in the eye and speak the words of Jesus over you. You are my beloved. Before the beginning of time, I picked you. I chose you. I created you. I made you the way you are on purpose. And I'm madly in love with you. You're valuable to me. You're the apple of my eye. 
My thoughts go to you all the time. Whenever I just can't help it, I just sit there and I think about how much I love you, how much I care for you. You are so valuable to me. Man, if we could just receive and understand the words of Jesus, those words that the enemy speaks, even through other people, and some of them, they don't know they're being used by the enemy. But those words that are spoken will drift away because in the kingdom, what Jesus says is what matters. And what Jesus is saying here is this matters. (laughs) Because here's the reality. Some of us in this room have been victims of crushing words. But the truth is that it's just as much a reality that some of us have been guilty of crushing and killing others with our words. Maybe you've never thought much about that before. Man, married couples... I know sometimes married couples will say things to each other in the heat of an argument that is terribly painful. And and perhaps you've just kind of operated under the the thought of, well, they know me. They know I didn't mean it. They, they, They know I say things sometimes when I'm upset. The truth is we make all kinds of excuses when it comes to this. We are experts at condemning other people and excusing ourselves for the same thing. And we make all kinds of excuses when it comes to this. You know, they know I didn't mean it, it's just me. Or, or this is a good one. We blame our nationality. I mean, that's just the way the Irish are. Just, just, that's the Italian coming out in me. I mean, that's, that's the German. We got strong personalities, and that's just the German coming out in me. Let me, let me just say this. That's ridiculous. It's, every nationality has anger for an excuse, except for the Canadians. They're like the nice people, right? We, we need to quit making excuses and call it what it is, because I'm telling you, words spoken in the haste of anger, when you reduce the value of another person with careless, angry words that are spoken in an instant, they can have a long-lasting impact. You speak them in a moment, but the results last for decades. In fact, some of what we did on Friday night, there were some people that got set free from what I'm talking about, right? The damage of what I'm talking about right here. I'm just trying to help us understand it matters how we talk to other people. It matters how you talk to your spouse. It matters how you talk to your kids. It matters how you talk to your coworkers. It matters how you talk to the people who don't talk to you right. This is why the writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 18:21. He says, "The tongue has the power of life and death." We don't really believe that. We need to. We can we have the choice. We can either speak words that build people up and bring life to them, or we can choose to speak words that tear people down and bring death. This is something that's been given to us. And what Jesus is saying here is the seed of anger, if gone unchecked, or better yet, if it's not brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, can cause us to speak in such a way that it's just the same as if we'd have murdered somebody. And the problem isn't just getting in trouble legally like the Pharisees believed because, um, you know, just because you broke the law. That's the extreme. The greater problem is that your soul can become in bondage and if the seed of anger is not dealt with, you can become enslaved to an emotion and controlled by it. And we all know people. Don't look at anybody. But we all know people. And we write it off. We just say, well, you know, that's just them. They they just get angry. You see, what I'm trying to help us understand is this is a spiritual issue. And it's prevalent in the the culture that we live in. And, And so what's at stake here as Jesus talks about life in his kingdom? He's talking about the essence of being a disciple. 
following after him. Jesus is saying, what I want for you is I don't want you to settle for bare minimum life. Don't, just, no, don't murder. He, he's saying is, I want more. And in fact, following me is about more than that. I, in fact, what I want is, Jesus says, I want you to bring all that you are, even all the powerful emotions that you feel, like anger, and I want you to bring them under my lordship, my control. And I want you to allow me to help you live at a deeper level than the rest of the world lives. Because here's what's also at stake. While the rest of the world is filled with anger, if you're able to live differently because you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit empowers you to live differently, what will happen is it's going to have the same impact on the people around you that salt has on food. The same impact that light has in a dark place. It will cause people to take notice when everybody else is up in arms and they're all angry about all this stuff and you've got peace. I'm telling you, it'll cause people to be like, what is wrong with you? And it'll be a testimony or an opportunity for a testimony to the power of God. Now the flip side of that is that if anger is not brought under the lordship of Jesus Christ, what happens is, and the Bible says this, that it quickly gives way to sin. And when people see us, and if they know, I mean, the sad thing is a lot of people don't know that we profess to be followers of Jesus. But if they know that we profess to be followers of Jesus, and they see us reacting to things the same way they react to things, and the same way everybody else reacts to things, then what kind of a testimony does that give? You know, obviously, Jesus makes no difference. Because their life's no different than my life. They do the same things I do. They act just like I do. So what, what, what's the benefit of having Jesus? And so how we deal with it's a big deal. With long-reaching repercussions. And so the question is, how do we deal with it? How do we, how do we deal with anger? Because we all have to. Because it's something that is in us from the time we were born. Think about this. Parents, you don't have to teach a two-year-old how to get angry. They come by it naturally, right? Just don't do something for them that they want you to do. And watch the fit that is thrown. And so this, this comes naturally. We've inherited it from Grandpa Adam way back in the garden. And so how do we pluck this seed so that we can be salt and light in the world before it turns into an uncontrollable weed. Well, fortunately, Jesus goes ahead and he, you know, he not only exposes the problem, but he gives the answer to the problem. If you look at uh, the, this next verse, therefore, Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, he says, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. And, and, and then come back and come and offer your gift. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Verse 26, truly I tell you, you will not get out until you paid the last penny. All right, so three things real quick. Are you guys still with me? Are you okay? We, we're going to go a little bit over, but I'm going to do, do this as quickly as, are you okay with that? I'm glad you said yes, because I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> the, first, the first way that Jesus says we deal with this anger is, number one, if anger, if it's a spirit of anger, then we need to respond with the opposite spirit. What is the opposite spirit? The, the opposite spirit of anger is humility. It's humility. Because here's the deal. The thing that feeds anger is the elevation of self. That's what fuels anger. I'm the most important. And if things don't go my way, if things don't go the way that I think they ought to go, nobody has the right to do that to me. Say that to me. Do what I don't want them to do. Because it's all about me. Now, we don't think 
I mean, we, some of, sometimes we do think those exact words. But that's what is the root. That is what feeds the seed of anger. And, and so if you don't do what I want to do, if you don't behave the way I want you to behave, then boy, I'm going to lash out at you. I'm going to put you in your place. Which is interesting because the place that we put people is always a place below us. Right? I'm going to put you in your place. That is the spirit of anger. And at its core, it always elevates the self at the expense of devaluing somebody else. Now, the spirit of humility, on the other hand, is the exact opposite of that. The spirit of humility always lowers self intentionally. Always lowers self and elevates others. Now, not in a false humility kind of way, you know, where, oh, I'm a horrible person and everybody else is better than me. And I, that's a spirit too. It's called the orphan spirit. It's a spirit of victimization. It comes from the enemy. We're not, we're not talking about that. And that is not humili- humility. What, what, what we're talking about, if you want to break it down to its bare minimum, what we're talking about is Jesus, being like Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. There was this humility that exists. But instead, what he did was he made himself nothing, lowered himself by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. You see, humility is always taking the posture of a servant where we intentionally seek to humble ourselves and elevate other people, benefit other people, seeking how can I somehow use all that I have benefited benefited from in order to elevate other people. It's, It's either like this. I can either step on all of you in order to try and boost myself up, or I can choose to come with a spirit of humility in order to somehow figure out how can I boost you up. That's the choice we have. And so the the first way to combat the spirit of anger is whenever it rears its head, you choose to clothe yourself with the spirit of humility. Choose it. Sometimes, hey, it's perfectly okay to out out loud say, I choose to be humble in this moment. Sometimes we have to tell ourselves that. Spirit of anger, go. Got no place here. But, But we intentionally clothe ourselves with humility. Now, when we blow it and we don't do that, and we've, we've, the Holy Spirit, one of the things about the Holy Spirit is he'll tap us on the shoulder. He'll say, hey, you know, when you said that, when you did that. If we walk in step with the Spirit, he'll say, hey, when you said that, when you did that, that didn't reflect who I am. And when, we, when he says that to us, a spirit of humility is always willing to go to the person that we've offended. The person that we were sarcastic with or had an angry tone, it, always, it doesn't have to always be an explosion, but maybe you just spoke to them sarcastically and the Holy Spirit reminds you of that. Go to them, humble yourself, and, say, and ask for forgiveness. Tell them what you did was wrong. I was wrong. Those are like the three hardest words in the English language when you string them together, right? We got no problem with you wrong. I was wrong. I said this. I did this. It was wrong. You didn't deserve it. And I'm sorry, would you forgive me? Now, even when you do that, it doesn't mean that they'll always forgive you. Most people will. I mean, most people will say, hey, man, I appreciate you doing that. It, because it actually frees up their heart. <laughs> Helps them. But here's the deal. Even if they don't forgive you, that's not your problem. Because now they, they are bound with a spirit of unforgiveness. You're free. Because you chose humility. And, and so there's a difference between complete reconciliation and 
just being humble and doing what you're supposed to do. We, we want reconciliation. That's a goal that doesn't always happen. Number two is not only respond with the opposite spirit, the spirit of humility, but we need to deal with it immediately. Whenever the Holy Spirit prompts us and, and, and says, you know, you responded in this sinful, angry way, and he will, again, uh, we, we're not talking about righteous anger here, but when we, we sin, when we, when we, when we uh, lash out in the wrong way or say words that hurt people, um, the Holy Spirit will come along and he'll remind us. And so when that happens, we, we need to do, here's what Jesus says. He says, even if you're at the church, when this happens, if you're offering your gift at the altar and you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. Before you do anything, Jesus says, go immediately and be reconciled to them. He, he says, I'll wait. You can bring your gift. I'll wait here. You go and make things right. And, and so what, what Jesus is talking about here, when he talks about our gift, he's talking about any expression of love that we have for God. So you're bringing your gift to the altar, which means you're giving to God, you're, you're, you're uh, expressing your worship, you're giving him your money, your time, your adoration, you're in prayer, you're reading your Bible, you're, you're serving in some way. All of these represent presenting your gift to God because you love him. And God says, this is the bottom line. What God is saying is you have to understand that your relationship to me your worship to me is directly connected to your relationships with other people in other words don't come in and try and tell me how much you love me when you've just devalued the people that I love my when you devalue people who are created in my image, you are devaluing me directly. And Jesus says, when that happens, go make it right, and then come back and tell me you love me. Deal with it. And deal with it immediately. There's urgency in this. And this is why it's important. Because remember, anger is like a seed. And if left unchecked and undealt with, it's going to grow. And the more that it grows, the more difficult it becomes to deal with. And that whole thing of just give it time. You know, time heals all wounds. No, that's a lie. Anger and the damage that's done from it is one of those things that only becomes more difficult to deal with over time. And so here's the deal. Listen, whenever the Holy Spirit taps us on the shoulder and we feel that prompting of, hey, you did this and it wasn't something that built somebody up, it was damaging, it was hurtful. If you don't deal with it immediately, this is what the Bible talks about happens is it says that your heart will become hardened. And if when Jesus or the Holy Spirit tells you to do something and is at work in you and you don't deal with it immediately, what happens is as you harden your heart, then it's harder for you to hear in the future. And it's not that the Holy Spirit quits talking to us. It's that we quit listening. And when you, every time you don't listen, and don't obey. Quickly, there's a hardness of heart that happens. And all of a sudden, you become what the Bible talks about. about they, they, they're hard of hearing. Not like me. Hard of hearing to the Spirit. Number three, last one. We need to develop a habit of willfully, willfully dealing with anger. This is an act of the will. If you really want to destroy the spirit of anger in your life, just develop this habit of making the choice, I'm going to deal with it, and we choose ahead of time. This is a choice we can make ahead of time, that I am going to deal with it every time it arises. If I, if I ever blow it, if I ever miss the opportunity, and I ever do, I'm going to deal with it immediately when it arises. Jesus says... Handle, deal with matters quickly. Deal with it when it arises. 
Because if you don't, Jesus says this. He says, you're going to deal with it at some point in your life. If you've offended somebody to the point they're going to take you to court, you make it right before you get to the courthouse because when you get to the courthouse, if you don't deal with it now, what he's trying to say is you're going to deal with it on a deeper level and oftentimes a more public level. He says, deal with it immediately. Now, real quick. There, there are two important aspects that are woven all throughout all three of these ways of dealing with anger. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call them weapons in dealing with anger. The band, band can come because we're about done here. But I, I want to give you these two in closing. These are woven all throughout these three ways of dealing with anger. The first weapon is confession. Confession. Confession is simply when I agree with whatever God says. When, when the Holy Spirit prompts me on the shoulder and says, Doug, you getting all worked up over having to wait 15 minutes for a piece of pie? Isn't worth it? It's not right? That, I don't want that for you. See, willfully, I have a choice. I can either say, you're right, God. I, I don't want that in me. I don't want to respond like that. Or I can say, it was pie! I want pie! We just agree with whatever God says, and we confess that. You're right, God. The, the second weapon goes along with confession. See, and, and they need to be both. Confession by itself is not, a lot of people, have, we have no problem with confession. I did this, it was wrong. I did this, it was wrong. I did it again, it was wrong. I did it again, it was wrong. I keep doing it. It's still wrong, but I keep doing it. The second is repentance. Repentance is God said this, I agree with it, and so now I'm going to do everything within my power to walk in what God says is right. I was headed this way in anger. I didn't get my pie. God said, don't, I don't want that in you. And I say, it ain't going to hurt me to wait for pie. <laughs> it's all right. I don't have to, I don't have, we don't have to be bound to any sin. It was for freedom's sake that he set us free. See, life in the kingdom is all about freedom. The spirit of anger is bondage. Bondage. So, Father, this morning, we just thank you for that reality, that truth that who the Son sets free is free indeed. And we know that there are things in our humanity that try and rise up and try and keep us in bondage because the thief comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. So whatever it is you want to do in us, you're, that, that verse goes on to say that you came to give us life that is exceedingly, abundantly more beyond anything that we can think of or imagine. And so this morning, I stand before the people that you've entrusted me with and I just confess with my mouth as their pastor I don't want to settle for the lesser things. I want the more. Selfishness is lesser. Humility is more. It's an upside down kingdom. And I want to be in it because you said that when we're in your kingdom and we operate in it, we'll experience the reality of what blessing really is. Joy that circumstances can't steal away. Peace that nobody can take from us. A sense of fulfillment and purpose. And best of all, your presence in our lives. I don't want anything to come in between your presence. Experiencing your presence. And I'm just convinced that there's a whole bunch of people here whose hearts are saying the same thing. God, I, want to, I just want to bring everything under your lordship. And so this morning, you know, if, it, it may be anger. This morning, this may have been for some person in particular. I don't know. I didn't have anybody in mind. But maybe the Holy Spirit is prompting you. And so I just want to encourage you this morning, just... Ask God, say, God, I, I want to, if you'll do it, 
I want to take this issue that you've exposed to my life and I want to submit it to your lordship. Obviously, if it's something that I could fix by myself, I'd have done it already, and so I need you. Maybe that's something else. Maybe, because see, the Holy Spirit works this way, is maybe today had nothing to do with anger for you, but there's something else that the Holy Spirit tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, let's deal with this. Just lift it up, say, Jesus, if you will, I want to bring this to the foot of the cross. I want to submit it to your lordship, and I, I just want it dealt with in my life. Would you help me with this? See, I just believe that he'll do that. And so, Jesus, this morning, Holy Spirit, we thank you that there's some, like, your work being done this morning. You're building on us. We thank you for that. Thank you for what you've done and what you want to do. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.